Our sermon text for this evening comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. It reads like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, I pray that you would indeed make that last statement such a deep-seated reality for us as we gather around your word. Holy Spirit, meet us now. Empower us now. We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated if you have children here tonight. We do have children's ministries, and so you can meet Lisa here in the back of the sanctuary, and she'll take you around. Um, I think there's already a few kids over there, but if you'd like to join them, you're more than welcome. <clears throat> we are taking a break from our series in Jonah tonight, so uh, we have been going through Jonah. We're halfway through it. We'll uh, pick it up again next week and the following week after that. Uh, but tonight I, I wanted to talk to you about, uh, well, I wanted to go over a, the message that, uh, or the text that I preached this morning. Now what I'm preaching to you tonight is different than what I preached this morning, but I wanted to share with you the words that I just read because they are so incredibly powerful. They are, in fact, the gospel. And so we're going to take time to dig into that tonight. A while back, I came across an interesting article uh, in the National Post, and the column was written by a priest named Raymond D'Souza. And the title of it was Charlie Sheen's uh, Search for God. Charlie Sheen's Search for God. Now, in case uh, some of you don't know, Sheen had just a few problems uh, a little while back basically with drugs, drugs and alcohol, and all sorts of other strange behaviors with lots of women uh, that eventually prompted his television show at the time to fire him. So thinking that the article might actually tell an encouraging conversion story about Charlie Sheen, I couldn't resist, you know, the clickbait worked on me and I opened it up. And no, it turns out that Sheen had not converted to the Christian faith, and he has not as far as we know. But rather, the author was making the point that by Charlie Sheen's actions, he was actually showing he was searching for God. As destructive as those actions could be, they actually were the attempt to find real meaning, real significance in his life. G.K. Chesterton, the wonderful scholar, put it this way, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Same thing could be said about every man who drinks down a bottle of bourbon or shoots up 
It can be said about love. We can easily put those that we love, that we fall in love with, in the place of God. And the reason this is because the human being can't help but worship. The human being can't help but try and find true meaning in something. So no matter what that thing is, as long as it seems to fill the void that we all know is there. What Louis Louis C.K. called the big empty in an interview. The the big empty. There's something there. We know it as his creation. We're aware something is not right. And so we go looking and grabbing after all sorts of things that the world offers us. And the world is right there to offer us all sorts of things that make those promises. Have this product, have this person, have this thing. You'll be fine. You'll be complete. You'll be content. And then we grab after it and we go after it and we keep on chasing it. And we find eventually it doesn't meet the need that we had hoped. And the reason that that void is there is, well, because God put it there. The book of Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity into the hearts of human beings. But ever since our fall into sin, our worship has been flawed. And we seek to fill that eternity with that which is temporal. The way the reformers talked about it, they would say that the human heart is an idol factory. That's a quote, I think, from John Calvin. Uh, A Lutheran can quote John Calvin. It's fine. We can appreciate the man, the human heart. The human heart is an idol factory. Martin Luther said it this way in his large catechism. He said, anything that you look to for trust and security, I tell you, that is really your God. We naturally worship idols. The heart is restless until it finds rest in thee, St. Augustine said. The Bible says that the only way we can become restful is if we become new creations, if we see that the filling of the big empty comes from a relationship, a restored friendship, a reconciled relationship with the true God of heaven and earth. And that's what our text says. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that through Christ, God reconciled the world to himself. The world, you, me, everyone. That is, he exchanges the bad relationship he and we have had since sin's been in the world. Yes, he exchanges it and declares it so. So how does he do that? Well, the first thing we see in our text, if you look at it in your program, you can find that he overlooks. The first thing we see God does is he overlooks. Look at verse 19. It says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Not counting. Now, the words I want you to focus on there are those words, not counting. In Greek, uh, the words are melogizomai. You don't have to memorize that. Don't worry. Uh, I just say it to sound smart and cool. But it's the sort of term that was used in accounting practices, and the idea is that it was really the overlooking of a debt. So to not count something against us was to overlook a debt. Now, the Bible expresses this thought about God in numerous places. Uh, for example, Romans 3.25 says, speaking of the cross of Jesus, God put forth, put forth Jesus as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And let's keep listening. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over, not counted our sins against us. Passed over. 
Acts chapter 17, verse 30. The times of ignorance, God overlooked. Same word, male gets a He overlooked our sins. So the illustration might be something like this. Imagine going on a spending spree with a credit card. You get a credit card in the mail. You decide, yeah, let's go for it. I don't know about you, I get a lot of credit card offers in the mail. Uh, and you just decide one day you're going to open up an account with all of them. And you go out and buy everything that you've ever dreamt of. Everything that you ever wanted. I mean, you know, you've got like a unicycle and, you know, a popcorn machine and just random nonsense. But you are spending like a complete buffoon just because you feel that you can. And you're running up the debt and running up the debt and running up the debt and running up the debt. And then a month and a half or so later, you start to get the bills that come in for the first time. And all of a sudden, what seemed like free money on the card turns into real money that you owe. And as you go to open up the envelope, a little bit of sweat comes down your forehead because you know that what you're going to see, there is no way you will be able to pay off. Now imagine, as you opened up that letter, instead, the bank showed you what you owed and then said, no worries, we got it. We took care of it. This one is on us. Now, that will never happen in this world with a real bank. But essentially what scripture is saying about God in our relationship to him is that our sin has caused us to have this gigantic debt. We've gone on a huge spending spree doing whatever we felt like doing, acting like complete fools. And then God says, I'm overlooking you. I'm not going to count against you. I got it. So that's part of how God reconciles us. He, has, he overlooks our sin. But that's not all he does. It's an incomplete definition of his reconciliation. Because secondly, in order to reconcile us, God also appeals to us. Look again at verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We implore you. We appeal to you. In order to reconcile us to himself, God appeals. Jesus came appealing in his ministry. Repent. For the kingdom of God is near. The apostles came appealing, saying the same thing, preaching the gospel of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to all who could hear. God makes his appeal to you and I to be reconciled through ambassadors. Now, of course, the word ambassador is still used today. You're aware of it. You hear it in the news all the time if you watch the news. It's used by government officials. An ambassador really has one job. The ambassador is to declare exactly what their leader says. Their leader sends them out. Deliver this message. That's what the ambassador has to deliver, not anything else. They don't change the message at all. They may be creative about how they deliver the message. They may deliver it in a different language. Many times they have to. But the message is exactly what the king wants them to say, period. And yet there's a lot of skill to this appealing. I mean, for starters, you, have to, you do have to know the language of the people you're speaking to. You have to know the customs and the values of the culture that you're speaking to. You need to be conscious of how you communicate uh, the message you're bringing in order to be heard by them. 
You need to look amongst the people that you hope to reach if you would be an effective ambassador in the political world. And I would say the same goes for anybody representing Jesus as an ambassador. What is the message that we ambassadors have to proclaim? To the world out there, the message we proclaim is, no matter what you've done, no matter how disfigured and scarred your failures, your sins, your shame has left you, God has restored friendship with you. God wants you. No matter how unworthy you may be, you are loved by him. So accept it. Be reconciled to God. One of my favorite illustrations of just what this kind of reconciliation looks like, uh, it actually comes out of this book called The Whisper Test. Marianne Bird uh, really shares the power of somebody being willing to do the kind of thing that God does in order to reconcile us. She was born with multiple birth defects, deaf in one ear, cleft palate, just disfigured face, uh, crooked nose, lopsided feet. And as a child, she suffered not only, of course, the physical impairments of her condition, but also, uh, you know, kids, I have three kids, we all know that kids can be brutal to anybody that looks different. And so she suffered being made fun of all the time by other kids. They would say, oh, Marianne, Marianne, what happened to your lip? Well, I cut it on a piece of glass. She would lie. One of the worst experiences at school, she reports, was the day of the annual hearing test. The teacher would call each child to hear uh, to, to her desk, and the child would uh, cover first one ear and then the other. And the teacher would whisper something to the child, like, the sky is blue or you have new shoes. This was the, the whisper test. If the teacher's phrase was heard and repeated, the child passed the test. Pretty simple. Remember, Marianne was deaf in one ear. So to avoid the humiliation of failure, she'd always cheat. She'd secretly kind of cup her hand over her one good ear so that she could still hear what the teacher said. Well, one year, Marianne was in the class of uh, Miss Leonard and one of the, really one of the most beloved teachers in the school. And every student, including Marianne, wanted to be noticed by her, wanted really to be the teacher's pet in that class. And the day came for the dreaded hearing test. And when her turn came, Mary, Marianne was called to the teacher's desk and Marianne cupped her hand over her good ear so that she could hear. And Miss Leonard leaned forward to whisper, and this is the words that Marianne uses in her book. She says, quote, I waited for these words which God must have put into her mouth, those seven words which changed my life. Miss Leonard did not say, the sky is blue, or you have new shoes. What she whispered was, I wish you were my little girl. That is essentially the thrust of the appeal God brings to us in his word through his ambassador. It's not just, though, I wish you were mine. It is, you are mine, and I am your father, and I love you with all of the problems you have. But, 
We still have a huge problem. We do. We still have a huge problem, at least in theory. And that is, how can it be if God is just, which we believe, we confess He is, He's a just God, how can He just overlook sins? How can He just not count them against us? I mean, that, that is not just. That is it, the heart of injustice. Justice demands wrongdoing be dealt with. So, how is it? Can he? How does he do it? How does he maintain his justice and yet overlook sins? Well, this is how. The last point, and that is God exchanges. God overlooks, God appeals, and God exchanges. Look at verse twenty-one. For our sake, he made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you ever want just a verse that summarizes the entire good news of the scriptures, that's a pretty good one to camp on. Verse 21. That's the good news. Do you hear the reformers refer to this as the great exchange? My sin, my failure, my shame in exchange for his Righteousness. Jesus Christ, completely man and completely God, perfect in every way, receives our debt, receives our sin, and is punished for it on the cross. Justice against us is met out against him at the cross. And in exchange, we are given by grace his perfect righteousness. And in doing this, God's perfect justice remains intact. So Romans 3 can say that God is both just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. He is just and he is the justifier. Therefore, Isaiah says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Everything that we find ourselves grasping after for meaning, the drugs, the sex, the booze, the family, the love, the money, whatever. Ultimately, all that stuff won't do it. True meaning is found through an exchange with Jesus Christ. Through accepting His righteousness in exchange for your sin. A.B. Simpson is reported to have said that the gospel, this gospel of reconciliation, tells rebellious men that God is reconciled, that justice is satisfied, that sin has been atoned for, that the judgment of the guilty may be revoked, the condemnation of the sinner canceled, the curse of the law blotted out, the gates of hell closed, the portals of heaven opened wide, the power of sin subdued, the guilty conscience healed, the broken heart comforted, the sorrow and misery of the fall undone. Therefore, as the Apostle Paul says in our text, be reconciled to God. Accept his reconciliation. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer?
Father, thank you that you have done everything by the blood of your son's cross to declare.